Hey everyone, just a few announcements. So Spring Activator, which uh, we're talking with today, Keith Appel, who's the founder and CEO, they are launching their Impactor, Impact Investor Challenge, which is set up to help everyone, regardless of your kind of background and where you come from and your investment history, get involved in impact investing and learn how to do it and do it through with a cohort of other folks. And they first launched this challenge in Vancouver in 2019. They now run several programs a year, uh, which cover a whole wide range of issues in various geographies, from global to national regional issues and thematic focuses like climate tech, gender lens investing. So whatever your kind of passion is for change, they can help you focus your investments there. I love that they're helping people reduce this, you know, get over this talk action gap for a lot of people getting their, making their first impact investments can be intimidating. And so they want to help with that. You can uh, check out the, my newsletter for a link to that program or just Google Spring Activator Impact Investor Challenge. Also, I wanted to mention that the Globe and Mail did a really great piece. I think it was in today's Globe and Mail, which is September 23rd, 2021, on the fact that ESOPs are becoming, are gaining steam and momentum politically, which is great. And ESOPs are employee stock owner plans. And we had on episode 25 of the podcast, John Shell from Social Capital Partners, where we were talking about how their organization is really trying to accelerate the employee ownership of businesses. And it's, we were talking on that episode actually about how, what a great bipartisan issue it is because it makes, turns out there's a lot of good data that companies that are owned by their employees perform better, uh, are more profitable, have happier employees. uh, They spread wealth better because the employees who are responsible for, you know, generating the wealth creation that these businesses uh, create get a more equitable split of the of that the, the wealth that they helped create. I'm really happy to see that. I also wanted to mention there are two really interesting job opportunities with the Indigenous Impact Initiative. So on episode, I want to say 18 or 17, with Sarah uh, Wolf, who is the director there, we talked to her about that uh, work. They are hiring for two roles. One is a communications associate, and the other is an impact analyst. And so those are both based, I believe, in Toronto. I'm not sure if there's remote opportunities, but you can check out my newsletter for the links to those applications. The deadlines for them are September 30th, so coming up quickly. Or you can Google Indigenous Innovation Initiative and find their website, and I'm sure they've got them posted there. And the last thing I'll mention is that the IMP, the Impact Measurement Project, and the pre-distribution initiative released a discussion paper recently where they've asked a community of practitioners to consider and debate areas where investors engage in practices that result in social or environmental harm. And this is not from the, the investment, not from the businesses they're financing through their investments, but their actual, like what's the impact of their investment activities themselves and what, damage are they potentially creating to the you know people and planet and so they had this discussion paper around what are the ways in which we need to modify how investment management is done so that we can mitigate these big systemic risks that they're potentially helping to create this discussion paper has been published i've got it up on it will be in the newsletter 
I've also got it up on my website under the thought leadership uh, pieces, and they're welcoming feedback into this, and it'll be part of an ongoing series of active discussions where they want stakeholders from across the investment industry to come together and contribute to how do we do better uh, when, we're, when we're making investments to reduce these systemic risks. With that, uh, let's get on to the podcast. You're listening to the Impact Investing Podcast. I'm your host, David O'Leary. I'm a reformed free market capitalist who now spends his time trying to harness the power of the markets for good. And I started this podcast for anyone who wants to join me as I explore the world at the intersection of purpose and profit. As much as investing for both purpose and profit is in vogue these days, there's still a wide gap between the number of people talking about impact investing and those actually doing it. The fact that impact capital doesn't flow nearly as freely as traditional investment capital makes scaling social enterprises or raising impact funds all the more difficult. My guest today is Keith Appel, CEO and founder of Spring Activator in Vancouver, British Columbia. Spring works with purpose-driven entrepreneurs at an early stage by providing incubation, acceleration, and investment readiness programming. The organization also works on the demand side of the impact investing equation by helping train impact investors to find and due diligence deals. It also works with a variety of players across the impact investing ecosystem. Keith founded the organization nearly eight years ago and is still incredibly passionate about building out this ecosystem. Keith's a reformed management consultant who, after being raised by entrepreneurs and avoiding entrepreneurship, was dragged back into it through the opportunities he was seeing for technology to solve real-world problems. And after a successful run leading a variety of technology-based businesses, Keith began seeing the opportunity to nurture the field of impact investing and so launched Spring Activator. During the episode, Keith and I discussed the state of the impact investing space globally and in Canada what support early-stage entrepreneurs need to scale their businesses, how to reduce the talk-action gap in impact investing, and how his organization helps investors learn how to become impact investors. And be sure to stay tuned to the very end, where Keith discusses his outlook for impact investing over the next decade. With that, let's get on to the podcast. So welcome, Keith, to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's going to be a great conversation. I'm looking forward to having it with you. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. I've um, been aware of Spring for a little while, and I'm excited to have this opportunity to dive a little deeper with you and get to know it even better and get to do that with an audience. So Likewise. yeah, maybe just start and give everyone an introduction to who you are and what Spring does. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm the co-founder and CEO of Spring, and Spring exists to change the world through innovation. And so it's a very inspiring term but what does that mean and so for us that means that we work with entrepreneurs at an early stage who are trying to make the world a better place we do that through incubation acceleration and investment readiness programming we also work with impact investors to help them be trained live in community and find the right deals for them to invest for impact And then the third pillar that we do is we work in ecosystems, uh, which is just a great way of saying we work in communities all over the world, usually with governments, donors, funders, and partners to 
help catalyze impact innovation ecosystems. We're headquartered in Vancouver. We've had the very good fortune of working in about 45 communities around the world, including many communities in Canada. And uh, I love talking about Spring. I can keep going forever, but I'll stop there for now. You know, that's great. And did you say how long it's been going? When Spring did you has it? been around for seven and a half years. Okay. And in that time, we've worked with about 1,500 entrepreneurs. Wow. We have an investor community now stretching about 500 people with a mentor community about equivalent. And we have had the very good fortune of uh, running probably about 50 entrepreneur programs in the last 18 months. We've trained more than 100 people to make their first impact investments. So it's been a really inspiring journey. Wow, 1,500, that's a lot in seven, seven years. I've, I've got a lot of questions about what you're seeing in terms of trends and the changes you've seen over that, that period of time. But I'd love to, how, how did you get Spring started? I'd love to hear a little bit about the genesis of the organization itself. Because you, you co-founded yeah, that, right? That's right, David. Thanks for, for asking that question. So myself, I'm a serial entrepreneur. Prior to launching Spring, I had been in the tech world, uh, software, primarily digital media, social media, data visualization. And when we got to the late 2000s, I really found that there was a struggle to try and find your voice and impact and as a technology entrepreneur. And then on the flip side, as I started to look at the world of impact, I realized that there was this invisible barrier between all of the tools, training, resources, and capital that was available in the tech world was not really being made available to impact entrepreneurs. And so ultimately that kind of gap and that need to help tech entrepreneurs find their voice and impact and to help impact entrepreneurs find their path to scale was the genesis of Spring. And so through that process, it really helped me to also bring a couple of key areas of strength and also interest. One is my ability to work with early stage entrepreneurs, help them to get to launch and unlock early growth. And then at the same time, help people who are interested and curious about impact investing to decode and demystify that process of, of what it means to be an impact investor and also how to write that first check. And so that that's the reason why Spring came to be when it did. Yeah. And so how does that, how did that start? I imagine from day one, you weren't offering everything and all of the services that you do now. Where were you seeing that kind of that earliest need and where, where did you start tackling the problem? And then how has it evolved over that time? Yeah, it's a great question, David. We really saw the need as being a marketplace need where you have impact entrepreneurs on one side and you have impact investors on the other side and then overarching all of that is the ecosystem itself right mm -hmm. the communities that they work in and so we really believed early on that what we needed to do was show the opportunity and also show the demand on the entrepreneur side so our first couple of years were almost exclusively on the impact entrepreneur side building up impact entrepreneurs getting them to growth, getting them to investment readiness. Then we started working with the investors and working with the ecosystems. Yeah. So great question. And did you have a lot of those kind of relationships already with um, impact investors or was that something that as you were working with the entrepreneurs, you're laying that foundation and building those relationships and starting to. Yeah. 
it was very much the latter. Like we, from my background, I knew a lot of people who were tech investors. And so for us, it really early on, it was an opportunity to start to expose those tech investors to some of these impact investing opportunities. So think about it as people who are already doing early stage and shifting them over towards impact. And then as we started to do that work, we started to identify some amazing impact investors out there and start to invite them into the discussion about how they can get involved early stage. I think there's still a gap today in impact investing at the earliest stages. Let's you and I call it C, maybe early A round for impact entrepreneurs. And so we've been able to invite a number of those people into that process, whether high net worth individuals, uh, family offices, foundations, community foundations, and even corporates. Do you, and do you think that's true more so in Canada than other parts of the world, in particular the U.S.? But No, I th- it's a great question. I, I, I f- have really noticed, David, that in, interestingly enough, in, in technology, for example, there's a lot of money at pre-seed and seed, but then there tends to be a bit of a gap at A, there's where it starts to narrow in a bit. In the U.S., there's still a robust amount of capital, but it, it definitely narrows in a bit and a lot when you get into Canada. There's not a lot of A-round capital fully developed in Canada yet. And in the impact world, it's almost the opposite. You would find that if companies got to a round, there was actually impact capital around. And, and that has actually been the same in most markets that I've seen us. And I think part of it is just the, how impact investing came about the origin of impact investing. And there was a level of conservatism in the impact investing community that is really just now starting to be unlocked, whether that is hundred percent impact portfolio public markets and so forth, as well as the really early stage world where we as Spring do our work. So are you saying that there was a level of, if I'm going to do impact investing, I'm going to do it a little more conservatively? Is that what you're suggesting? And so then that meant that they were looking for a little more of the later stage. Correct. To make those investments. Yeah. Correct. And that's just yeah. still like unwinding that, that earliest. Yeah. And if you think about the genesis of impact investing, right, the genesis of impact investing, high net worth individuals, family offices. If you and I look back 40 years ago, their impact investing was philanthropy. It was, that was really the choice they had. Mm -hmm. And so as that place came to a place of now starting to think almost like portfolio strategy, the logical place to then go next was scaling impact ventures because the public markets hadn't developed and the early stage had not yet developed. So then more recently, we've seen the public markets starting to develop with ESG, SRI investing and so forth. But now what we're also seeing is we're seeing that the early stage is finally developing. And that is the byproduct of what I was talking about from the genesis of spring, where nobody was focusing on developing early stage impact entrepreneurs. Mm. They were in the desert until they got to a round. Mm. Now you see a lot of impact incubators, impact accelerators, impact support organizations. We even have mainstream organizations like Techstars doing impact cohorts, right? So now there's enough movement there that that kind of 
mainstreaming of early stage impact has now kind of race like risen to the level of visibility to those impact investors that are out there. Mm -hmm. And so now it's about empowering them, capacity building them to understand how to do early stage and then put bringing them into community to actually get it done. Interesting. Do you, how do you define impact investing? And what do you consider an impact investment in, you know, in especially in an early stage? I think it, what I found is it's easy for an investor to say to themselves, I'm making an impact investment because I'm providing this early stage capital and this business. You can always find a thread in any business for the good that it's going to do in the world. What differentiates it? Any, or any ordinary early stage investment from an impact investment at an early stage in your mind? Yeah. Yeah. So David, you've probably seen the uh, chart, I, a few variations of this, but I think the first time I saw it was a Sonin Capital chart of the spectrum of impact investing, mm. where we have traditional returns-based investing on one end and philanthropy on the other end. And so I think it's really important to note that impact investing is a spectrum. And typically what we say is that impact investing is about investing in businesses that are creating positive change. So typically what that means is initially we're saying no to those things that are negative. So this is the classic guns, cigarettes, etc. And then I think once people get past the, those things that are negative on people and planet, then there's an opportunity to start to explore what impact investing means to the individual. And so we as Spring, we basically say that impact investing is where you're investing in an organization that is intentionally trying to make the world a better place every day through a combination of what they do and how they do it. And so then that now gives the investor an opportunity to say, what is important to me? For example, just before you and I started this podcast, I was on a call with an investor in Saskatoon. And so that investor is passionate about sustainable agriculture. And so when they think now about an impact investment, they're thinking about organizations in what they do is sustainable agriculture. How they do it can mean multiple things, right? It can mean everything from providing living wages, equitable hiring practices, giving back in the community, diverting GHGs and what you do, ethical supply chain. So there's lots of great ways to describe that. But I think as an impact investor, we always want to start with the statement, I'm going to invest in businesses that are intentionally making the world a better place every day through what they do and how they do it. And now I'm going to put my flavor and my lens and my context on that statement. How, how often in, in either the, with the entrepreneurs you work with, and maybe it's a requirement, would you... And or how often would your investors want to see a theory of change and how much do you think that's tied into the definition of, you know, this, the, making an impact investment and really thinking about that logical framework for how that impact is made? Does that come up a lot? Is it something you focus So I'm actually glad that you asked that question. So let's put a couple of things on the table. One is the theory of change. A second would be an impact measurement framework. And then the third one would be B Corp certification. And for those who are in the world today of impact investing, I mentioned those three things and you say, yes, I know what they are and I understand them. For those who are listening, who are curious about impact investing, these are three elements by which you see where people are on the spectrum of impact. 
And so my comment to you is what we tend to find is that those people who are either really hardwired for impact or are what I will call experienced and sophisticated impact investors will be looking for one or a combination of those things to be defined upfront. What we do find, of course, is that there are people who are newer to impact investing and or are uh, novice. And in those particular cases, they're just starting to learn about what those things mean and why. I would actually say, interestingly enough, it's the same thing for the world of impact entrepreneurs. So an example I'll give you is I was speaking with somebody today in Calgary, and they work with a group of life sciences entrepreneurs. And so we were having a conversation about impact investing for those entrepreneurs. True story, half the entrepreneurs in the room are like, I never thought of myself as an impact entrepreneur. I'm just doing life sciences. Where you and I would say pretty much everything in life sciences is impact out of the gate. So I think I think my encouragement there is it's okay if people don't have it up front. But we as impact investors, what we want to do is have that conversation and say, do you have these things, right? Theory of change, how do you measure impact? Have you thought about becoming a B Corp? And have a discussion about it. Because creating impact is a journey. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that the goal here is, here is to open the door and walk the journey, as opposed to using those as gates to say yes or no up front. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I personally, philosophy... I subscribe to the notion that you have to meet people where they are and all of us are at different stages of our journey. Five years ago and 10 years ago was a very different place. And I I Mm. wouldn't have received, I wouldn't have been in a position to receive certain arguments and certain views and fully comprehend them. And that for, for me was a process of, of understanding that became deeper and, you know, solidifying convictions and beliefs and, uh, and I've come to have a, I think, a fuller and fuller appreciation of the ways in which we can make an impact and what impact investing is and isn't and what are the problems and solutions with it. And and that will be a journey that continues. I'm not done that journey. and I don't think there is a an end to it. So I, I, I like that framework a lot. I don't think we need to be putting up barriers that prevent people from wanting to enter because they feel like they're they're judged or because they are, are it's not good enough. They don't meet a certain standard. I think we have to meet those people and welcome them in wherever we can because it just requires all of us to be to be coming along that journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. And you and I only have to look at people like Bill Gates, Bill and Melinda Gates. You know, when Bill Gates started Microsoft, I, I don't ever remember hearing him talking about creating mm-hmm. manifest change in the world. And so, if if people had looked at him then. There would have been a lot of dismissing. And so I think to your point, we have to welcome people with open arms. We have to give them the chance to opt in. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. I'd love to learn a little bit more about your um your background, if you could share like where did you, as far back as you want to go anyway, like where how did you get your start and and the decisions you made along the way to that led you to where you are now? Absolutely. Yeah. So my background and journey is an interesting one. My father was a serial entrepreneur. And when my dad was an entrepreneur, when you're a kid watching your parents, so much of what you do is modeled after and, 
and inspired by what you and so my dad was what I would say classic of that era, entrepreneur by day, philanthropist by night, work a hard day, full day, come home, throw on a suit, and then he and in my mom would go to a fundraising event or so forth. And I remember many times where other entrepreneurs and other people will would call my dad or my mom middle of the day, evenings, weekends, looking for help. And so there was always this sense of give back. And so when I went into the business, the, that sense of give back at the time was kind of like you did United Way. It, that was the annual campaign. That was the way that you did it in the corporate world. And so for me, I always wondered like, how could people be a business person and also try and make change? from nine to five and not just in the evenings and on weekends. And so for me, that actually led me to starting to engage with some other tech entrepreneurs that I had met as a kind of an emerging technology entrepreneur in the early 2000s and really starting to identify and try and find ways for me to weave impact into the day-to-day of my journey. And when I got to 2009, I really kind of got to a place where I said, I can't see an easy way to do it with what I'm doing today. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to punch reset. And so I started what initially was described as a six month sabbatical, ended up stretching to about 15 months. And during that time, I was able to engage with a number of impact organizations, including nonprofits and charities and co-ops. And And it was there that I really felt like I found my calling and my calling in particular was to create a collision between the tech world and the impact worlds. So to help tech entrepreneurs find their voice and impact, and also to create access to all the tools, training, resources, and capital that existed in the tech world for impact entrepreneurs and to really leverage my strengths around ideation through to early growth. And in addition to that helping impact entrepreneurs to raise capital and helping early stage investors to place capital. And so it's been an interesting journey along the way. To be sure, there's many fantastic organizations that I touched on during that time. Organizations like Hub, which is the cycling nonprofit in Vancouver. Just Tea, which is an incredible organization. It's a retail tea company that is redefining wealth distribution for Kenyan tea farmers, so many, and so many, you know, kind of organizations in between. Another example that I would give is Farm at Hand, which was an amazing farm management platform based out of originally Saskatoon, then Vancouver, Kim Keller and Hamanshu Singh, it's the two co-founders. Uh, these are organizations that really helped me to ultimately find my place into what became Spring. Hmm. And like you studied, you did an MBA, if I not mistaken, right? At, at right. And when you finished that up, what were some of your earliest work experiences? Were you, were you an entrepreneur right from the start or were you in industry for a while? No, you know, it's, it's interesting that you asked that question. When I left undergrad, I had no intention of being an entrepreneur. And the reason is because having watched my dad be an entrepreneur and all of his friends and tremendous respect for that, I just really felt like there was just a lot of sacrifice there that was maybe not a trade-off that I was willing to make in life. And, 
And so what's interesting is though, even though I grew up surrounded by entrepreneurship, when I left undergrad, I had no intention of going there. I went into business. Then the plan was three years, go do an MBA, then go be a management consultant. That was the path I had laid out. And that's the path that I went through. So when I came out of MBA school, I became a management consultant and I was doing that for a couple of years. And during that time, I got exposed to the technology world and I got excited about it. I got excited about the innovation and about the creativity and about the problem solving, the world changing. And so then I got into the tech space. So I left management consulting, came into tech. And but what, even then I was not yet inspired to be an entrepreneur. I think like a lot of people, I ended up backing into entrepreneur entrepreneurship based on problems that I saw that needed to get solved. Mm. And then we don't see anybody else solving it. You step in and you do it. And for many people, suddenly you're an entrepreneur. And that's right. where so I So this, this would have been yeah. what, like mid, late 1990s? It would have been. So I left management consulting in basically at the end of 99 into the tech world in late 99. And, and then I didn't lead my first business until 2005. Yeah. And what was that for you? What was that first? Oh yeah. It was, it's an interesting story. Speaking of backing into entrepreneurship, I was a VP of operations for a tech company in Vancouver. And the board made a decision rather surprisingly to fire the CEO. And, and so I got a call from the board, myself and our CTO and our CFO, we got a call from the board saying, Hey, we've made a decision and we've let the CEO go. And so, so what's the plan? And they're like, good luck. (laughs) It's like, all right. And so then the three of us had to look at each other and say, are we going to go do this or not? And so that's actually how I ended up becoming a part of a leadership team that then took on a business. And then from there was much more intentional. So the next business, which actually spun out of that business, we co-founded a business coming out of that in the digital media space. And then, and, but that was the, once you're on the point, which I was in this, in this software company. Then I was like, yeah, this is where I, this is where I need to be. And this is where I want to be. And that helped me to find the journey that also led me to how can I be a leader in impact business, which really was that journey starting in 2005. And at the time, just, you know, we were doing data visualization software and in that data visualization software could be used in emergency response. Like we were saying, we the software was used in for the tsunami disaster relief in Southeast Asia. If you remember that back in the day, Christmas in 2004, it was used as a part of the response for Hurricane Katrina. So there was like an inherent do good there, even though we never used that language at the time. And then that kind of like kicked off this journey that ultimately led me to leaving the tech world, going on sabbatical, figuring out what my calling was. And then from that co-founding and, and, and launching spring. And so like for you, when did those things, I think you started to touch on it there, but maybe you can elaborate a little bit, like when those threads connected. So in the earliest days, you're grow up to your parents do a lot of philanthropy and then you're going on the, I'm not going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to be a management consultant and, oh, technology is interesting. It's the 1990s and Amazon and Google and 
they're being born and Apple's being reborn and the NASDAQ's taking off. And it's a fascinating time of possibility and opportunity. And it sounds to me, I'm correct me if I'm wrong, like you're seeing that as an interesting opportunity set, but still not necessarily, oh, and here's a way for me to solve a lot of the world's problems and make a positive impact. It's more, I'm interested in such a challenge professionally and it's an exciting opportunity. When did those threads though connect between, oh, am I can actually turn this into a way of making it a a positive Yeah. So there's actually a very specific moment in time. So not everybody has this, but I definitely have a very specific aha moment. In June of actually late May of 2009, so the, the 2008 to 2010 recession was on and we, the company that I was running was a hyper-local ad platform and we had just raised $2 million in the midst of a recession to go grow this business. And so, which in and of itself was a bit of a feat to raise a couple million bucks in 2009 oh. and we had wow. seen really amazing momentum in the business. We had, I think it was like seven of the top 10 local internet sites on the internet at the time were clients of ours. And so we were doing some pretty incredible things. And I still remember, and you always have these funny startup stories. So I left the lawyer's office at 11 PM after signing like about three feet worth of of paper. And I had $2 million in checks in my that's because that was the way it was done back then. Like there was no wiring of, you know, money. Right. And so like, literally I like jumped on the sky train at, at 11 o'clock and, and I have 2 million bucks in my pocket and you feel it's, it's exhilarating, right? You've raised right. around, you've achieved this accomplishment. I could not get up the next day. Couldn't get out of bed. Hmm. And I was, and I just thought, oh, it's like the adrenaline drains and and then the next day was the same. The next day was the same. And two weeks later and four weeks later, it was the same. And then I was like, I couldn't figure out what it was. And then I realized that I absolutely hated what I was doing. And, and what I mean by that is I, I hate, hated what advertising stands for and what it does to people. And, and so. I just realized that I was in direct conflict with like my core values in, in what I believed in, but I had gone to that place because we saw an intellectual problem to solve. We had an incredible technical team that created it, an incredible technical solution to solve it. When we were the first hyper local ad platform on the internet and we, so the whole thing essentially was this giant intellectual exercise. And then when push leaves the shove, I realized that it was wrong. And so I couldn't do it anymore. And then that's when I put up my hand and said, I think we need somebody else to run this thing. And, but what I did realize was that I, to your comment earlier about your journey and impact, I was in the same place. I was like, I want to do good in the world. But that was like the sum total of my journey to that point. I couldn't define it. There's no such thing as SDGs at that point. Like Mm -hmm. I, and. So that's why I actually said, I need to take a step back and actually figure out what impact means to me and then step into it. And so I still, I got to tell you, like that whole sequence of that night and that next morning is burned in my memory. Like I just, 
It's wow. such an amazing moment. True. And see the light moment. And so that was 2009. Yep. Time frame. You then take that when you took your sabbatical, basically, it took some time off to really think about what you wanted to do. Yeah. And get back. So as I said, like working with some nonprofits, charities and co-ops that took me to the end of 2010, beginning of 2011. And then that's actually at the beginning of 2011, then it was an opportunity for me to start to test some of the models that I'd been thinking about, like for how I could make impact. And for me at the time, it was one of two paths. One was, do I create a new business, like a new product service and try and create impact that way? Or because I had been doing some advisory work with some other technology entrepreneurs and investors, do I actually try and create leverage effect? And so then 2011, 2012, early 2013, testing a bunch of those ideas, putting them into practice, solidifying that path. And then it was in July of 2013 that the form and structure that became spring came clear. Mm. And, and then basically the second half of 2013 was the run to launch. Yeah. So that's awesome. That's a really, I love that you've got a, a definitive moment in time. You're right for everybody. It sometimes it's just a, a series of events that eventually build conviction and a, a thought it builds within you and it's hard to define when that happened, but for you that it happens over a very specific period of time and, and moments is really, it, it makes it a. It's fine. It's interesting um, that here and, and good for you. I think a lot of, I think a lot of people increasingly like ju judging by the messages I get on, on LinkedIn around people who are in jobs that they don't feel passionate about and will reach out and say, Hey, just love to pick your brain on you know, my career and uh, what other opportunities are out there. I think there's mm -hmm. just an increasing awakening that you know, people are more and more coming to that realization that like, don't enjoy what I'm doing. I'm not passionate about it. And for a while, it's enough to just be able to make money at it until you get to a place where you feel financially secure. But beyond that, there are other ways I could choose to make money that maybe feel better and that I am going to be a lot more passionate. Mm. And what's interesting that early though, it, it, well, and, and, but, but I think what's really interesting to me is every time I give a talk, I always start with two questions. And so the two questions are, how many of you would self-describe yourself and based on the audience as an impact entrepreneur or as an impact investor? And typically I would say maximum 25% of the room will raise their hands. And then my second question is, how many of you would like to make the world a better place? Typically 98% of the people will raise their hands. And then I say to them, congratulations, you're all impact entrepreneurs. Now, what I'd love to do is share the journey with you to help you do that from nine to five. Like I, and I think that the, the reason that so many people don't dive in is because there's a, there's just this common question is the most commonly asked question in business is asked every day, multiple times a day. The question is, how do I? And so a lot of reason that people don't do it is because they go, well, yeah, how do I, how would I do that? And how do I, is a tough question. Mm -hmm. Because you've got to figure out, like, do I have to find the answer? Does somebody else know the answer? And so the important part, I think, for all of us and what you're doing with this podcast and what we're doing at Spring is to help people answer that question, how do I? And then the subsequent questions, which include what if and no. And so the goal is just to walk people through that journey and 
So for me, I'm deeply passionate about helping people reveal that, A, yes, I do want to make the world a better place. Fabulous. Would you like to use your nine to five time as a way to do that too? And a lot of people are like, I'd like to try that. Great. Let's answer. How do I? And that's, that to me is where the fun is. So, yeah. Yeah. I I, even with myself and and Kide Wealth, I, I often still oscillate on whether I call it a a social enterprise or an impact business. And we can talk about the different terms or whether I just describe it as a for profit, but I definitely view it as a vehicle for making a positive social and environmental impact. But so like that, that resonates with me and I consider myself deeply and firmly entrenched in this space. It's also, I think just as an aside, I think like I, I struggled with that in my journey was I, and I had my wife who I think people have listening to this podcast for a while know my story, so I'm not going to share it, but meeting my wife, who's a humanitarian worker, and then her family of being in the humanitarian space for generations was what, you know, forced me to look at the world differently or caused me to. And then I took some time and, and spent some time in, in Sierra Leone. And that was a very profound uh, experience for me. But, but that was like a journey that like, that didn't happen overnight. And I didn't race home and quit my job and then devote all my time, be a volunteer all my time. I wanted to think a lot of, more carefully about like, how am I going to spend my, more of my time, energy and my day job, make a positive impact. It wasn't clear to me how at the time I didn't even know the term impact investing. I think it had been born a little before, but still wasn't very widely known. And so I spent, and I'm still on a journey, but I, I spent a good five, six, seven years just trying to scrounge around and talk to who I could and, and really feel my way around in the dark to connect that and, and the whole field of impact investing matured and blossomed. And I actually stumbled on it. And I had the support of a wife who was in the nonprofit and humanitarian sector of her family and all their connections to really interesting people and nonprofits. And so I had a fairly robust support network of people who could help me articulate and, and my thoughts and process my thoughts and then connect me with other people and organizations where you start to follow a bit of a, a trail. But there's nobody who's I consider myself pretty lucky and there's nobody whose job it is to help you do that. And so with Kindwell, part of the idea is I think financial planners sit at an interesting juncture to be able to engage people in that conversation, maybe not act as an official consultant, but help people process some of what they're experiencing and feeling because it is tied up in a lot of it for a lot of people it is tied up in the money side of it. Can I do that full time? And can I afford mm. to, can I take that risk? Can I know it? And so they just sit at a really interesting juncture. Anyway, that's a bit of a, a digression that we don't need to continue down, but it, it I, but at the point I really wanted to stress was, I think with, I think we would catalyze a lot more people to using more of their time and energy for positive impact. If there were a systematic way to help those people find out and connect with that. And that yeah. we're not doing it at scale. I would even wonder whether there's like a, you know, social programs that, who should be offered to help people do that type of thing. And what's interesting, because you talked about this in the context of financial advisory. And, and so what's happening is this conversation about how can I do good in work? How can I do good in or with my capital? These are becoming mainstream conversations. For example, like in the financial advisory world, compared to a few years ago, multiple organizations and financial advisors and people like yourself as being leaders in the field around how do we move towards 100% impact portfolio? What is the difference between ESG investing and SRI investing? 
And so the benefit is that as this is becoming mainstream, some of this kind of structured thinking and process is coming into play. And so in your particular case, I bet that when a new client comes to you and says, Hey, we're thinking about myself and my partner, our family, et cetera. We're thinking about getting, how do we do this impact thing? What does it even mean? You probably have this kind of structured process where you're helping to empower them through education, getting them informed, like, for example, like defining ESG and SRI. Second is that you're helping them understand that they're actually in a community. They're not alone in this, that you have many clients who do that, that you and your organization, the many clients are a part of this other larger community that is doing this in Canada, which is a part of a larger community doing it in the world. So when we empower people through education and then we help them understand that they're not alone, they're not weird, they're in community, we're all doing this together, then now they're like, I think I can do this. And so the reason I share that is because it's one of the reasons why we created the Impact Investor Challenge at Spring is because we had, for example, like traditional tech investors, people who had made millions off of these unicorn tech companies who would would come to us and say, hey, should I be doing impact investing? Like early stage, can I like, am I just gonna lose my money? And then we would also have high net worth individuals and family offices come to us and say, in our view of 100% impact portfolio, we keep hearing about this like early stage stuff. And, but what we recognized very early on was that people had no idea how to do early stage investing. So they lacked the education. And then the second one is that early stage impact investors, as with early stage angel investors, tend to work alone. Mm-hmm. And so then we said, why don't we create a program that actually empowers people with education and then puts them into a community? And that was the genesis of that. And so it's very much the, the way that we created the Impact Investor Challenge for Impact Investors is exactly the way that you created what you do, yeah. which is... Let's empower them with education. Let's put them in the community. And I think that's really critical and something that we are so excited to be doing with our Impact Investor Challenge. And that launched just recently, right? The na- it's a national one? So we actually have been doing it for a couple of years now. And our first ever national challenge just kicked off. So you're right. Okay. It's our inaugural uh, National Impact yeah, Investor so, Challenge yeah. kicked off last week. And, and so we... We've had the very good fortune now of having trained about a hundred people in Canada to make their first early stage impact investment. Hmm. And it's a 10 week program and it has dual benefit because we take a group of say 15 to 25 would be early stage impact investors. And over the course of the 10 weeks, we take 20 amazing impact ventures. We help those impact uh, investors to take the 20, trim it down to 10, trim it down to five finalist companies. And then over the remaining seven, go through a process of homework or due diligence is the term to determine who they want to invest in and then put a committed check into at least one of the companies, the winner, if you will. And so the power of that is there's this education process, which comes from training. We have guest speakers, panelists, subject matter experts, but who's who have impact invest. There's peer groups with mentors that kind of work together through this process. 
but it also empowers those 20 impact ventures to be investment ready. And that process has, has really seen the dual benefit as we've gone through. So it's been a really, yeah, it's been an incredibly rewarding journey and it's helped bring a hundred people into the world of early stage impact investing. It's helped to see that capital get deployed. And at the end of that, people are able to say, I am empowered through education. I am in community and I've written my first check. The how do I has been answered. And now the fun part is they get to ask now what, which includes things like moving towards hundred percent impact portfolio, including public markets, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that's amazing. And so how often do you plan on running these? Do you have an idea? The program is actually quite interesting in that it actually is designed to serve multiple communities. Impact investing is, I would say, a community of communities. And so we actually run it multiple times a year according to the level of community that people want to engage in. So the national challenge is about people saying, I want to be inspired and in community with people across Canada. And we have people, we have investors and entrepreneurs from multiple provinces and territories, multiple sectors, really amazing. And then we have other people who say, I want to invest in my town, true place-based investing. So the way that we actually run the program is that we run it regionally, provincially, and in individual communities. And so really it's an opportunity for investors to pick and choose according to how they want to dig in and, and explore what impact investing means to them. Each one runs on an annual basis. Uh, so springtime is national, springtime for Vancouver Island. The fall is for Western Canada. We run a program there. Fingers crossed, actually, we might be running one in Ontario in the fall with a specific focus on kind of earth-based te technologies and and also looking at expanding into Saskatchewan as well. Awesome. Yeah, that yeah. sounds amazing. It's such a valuable service. To your point, this people who want to do impact investing often don't know where to start and it feels scary and more probably intimidating than it should to just get started. And I think that getting over that hurdle of walking people through a process of doing the evaluation and doing the community is so valuable. Even professionals, right? Foundations and pensions across the world look at who else is investing <laughs> and they want to do it with others because they, there's comfort uh, in, in having other eyes looking at it and be able to process and share ideas and thoughts and feedback. And so it's just, it's perfectly natural. This isn't, I didn't even think something that's just for novices. I think it's something that even professional investors, if not, um, Officially, unofficially, do a lot of the time. Yeah. So true. Yeah. Well said. Talk then uh, again a, a little bit, and we'll dive a little bit more into detail. So you've got these national investor challenges. You've got, you mentioned in terms of working with entrepreneurs, you've got the incubators, accelerators, and ecosystem building. Is that sort of how you define the three aspects of, of that? Yeah, you've nailed it. Yeah. So we, on the entrepreneur side, we focus strongly on the early stages. So incubation is from idea to launch. Acceleration is post-launch, looking to find early growth and kind of market validation. That's on the entrepreneur side. 
And then we do investment readiness training and support for entrepreneurs. The, on the investor side, we've chatted a bit about this process uh, so far and, and with our flagship, which is the Impact Investor Challenge. We will be launching, we're going to have a big announcement in June that'll share on the Impact Investing side. You and I can do a follow-up on that one, which would be amazing. Yeah. So I'll, I'll tease everybody with that upcoming surprise. And then, and then in addition to that, on the ecosystem side, we work primarily in small communities across Canada as well as in developing countries around the world to help them to advance their impact innovation ecosystem. That has included capacity building incubators and accelerators in those communities. Uh, we've worked directly with impact entrepreneurs and also with impact investors. We've had the very good fortune of doing that work across Southeast Asia, Latin America, from the upper tip of Central America down to Peru, a little bit in the Pacific Islands, a little bit in Sub-Saharan Africa, and then also in the developing Southeast Europe in the former Yugoslavia. So these are some of the places wow. that we spent a meaningful amount of time in. And so on the investor and the entrepreneur front, if people are listening and interested, like what types of investors do you tend to work with on the investor challenges? Are there certain criteria for who you'd like to work with? And, and same on the entrepreneur side, what types of entrepreneurs should be should be thinking about connecting with you and how do they do that? Yeah, it's a great question. So with impact investors, we find that impact investors cut across four segments, four communities. So we have traditionally tech investors who are looking to get into early stage impact investing. We also have high net worth individuals, family offices, and family foundations that are looking to get into early stage impact have already been impact investing for a while. The third group would be community foundations and corporates who are looking at getting into direct impact investing. And then the final camp, which is a ton of fun, is what we call coming of age entrepreneurs. So these are entrepreneurs who have now just seen enough financial success that they say, I'm not going to wait to create a family foundation or a family office. I am going to start investing now and creating good today. And so those are the four groups that we love to talk to. Often on the family office and family foundation side, we see a lot of next gen. So often millennials who are taking over a portion or all of the family office and looking to really reshape the, the approach or to evolve the approach. And then on the entrepreneur side, we are generally industry agnostic. So we tend to see healthcare, education, clean tech, circular economy, food and agriculture or agri-tech and impact marketplace and e-commerce. Those would be the sectors that we see. I would say that we have a particular focus on working with food and ag centric entrepreneurs tends to be a focus of ours, as well as impact marketplace and e-com. So if you wanted a leading, that's where we would go. And we're really looking at people who are ID on a napkin through about 2 million in revenue. Often mm. people who are looking to grow, to maximize their impact. Whether that is within their individual community, their province, the region, the country, or the world. So they define the scale, but we help them grow and often to unlock the supported values aligned capital to help them achieve that. Are you seeing, like, what's your view of how the landscape is evolving specifically in Canada vis-a-vis -vis the rest of the world? It feels to me like Canada is... Legs, uh, especially the, the U.S. And, and I'll say the U.K. and other parts of Europe, 
I'm curious for your perspective. Canada by nature is risk averse. And when I, people ask me the question about like, whether it's innovation or impact and are we lagging, I always, I, I like to, to smile at that because I say, of course we're lagging because we're risk averse. That's <laughs> we're who we Canadian. are as Canadians. <laughs> we don't say, hi, my name is Keith. We say, sorry, my name is Keith. And <laughs> so with that in mind, I would say that while generally, like if, if we look at, say, for example, the UK, some parts of the US, and even, for example, actually, interestingly enough, some parts of Singapore and, and Germany, you see some really interesting things happening around impact investing. I think where Canada is seeing some really good progress is around the rise of some impact VC funds, new funds like Marigold Capital in Toronto, Rise of Capital and Active Impact Investments in BC, Second Muse Capital in Montreal. These are examples of people who are doing, I think, some really cool things. Platform-wise, SVX and FundFunder would be examples. Of course, we at Spring are doing some work around impact capital and future capital is doing some interesting things around capacity building, around equity, diversity, and inclusion in capital. So I think there's some really good pieces that are happening here. I think where Canada has an opportunity to take a lead in impact investing is I think we have a real opportunity to take a lead in place-based impact investing because of the size and scope of Canada as a country and some of the incredible uniqueness that happens geographically, culturally, and, and economically. We definitely, I would say, are actually leading some of the early work around economic rec reconciliation through capital. Raven Indigenous Capital Partners has done incredible work about bringing venture capital to Indigenous entrepreneurs in Canada really is already being held up as a global best practice. Uh, so they're doing incredible work. And I would say inherently, I think we have an opportunity to be a leader in impact capital for the sustainable food movement or food security movement, which is global. We interestingly enough have an opportunity to, I also think, be a global leader around clean tech. There's some amazing pockets of clean tech. And then the third one would be oceans and blue economy. Some amazing things happening in places like Halifax and Victoria, uh, a couple of other places. And I think that's that those are places that we can really lead. And I think thankfully for us, even though we have been quote unquote behind, now that impact investing is mainstreaming, we can now lean on our own inherent strengths as a country and as individual communities to actually take that leadership without trying to force it. We're naturally a place-based country. We're naturally strong in, in food and egg, naturally strong in clean tech and oceans. And so now it's just an opportunity for us to then just establish that leadership as opposed to race into it, which is almost antithetical to being Canadian. Yeah. Yeah. Fair point. Do you see that is the, are you seeing trends and are those trends kind of mapping with where you see the opportunities for us in terms of like where entrepreneurs are tackling these problems from the Canadian perspective? Yes and no. I'll explain. I think climate and clean sustainability, clean tech, climate tech, environment tech, circular economy. I think we are taking, we're seizing the day. I think we're stepping in as entrepreneurs. I think we're stepping in with capital. Food, 
what's interesting with food security is because there's so much buzz and energy around climate and, and clean and circular economy right now that it almost overshadows this food security movement. But the food security movement is absolutely the next big thing. Absolutely. Because it has to be like it. There's just a like a, a human imperative for it to be so. And so I, I think we're just starting to emerge into that. I don't think we're neglecting it. I don't think we're abusing it. I just think it's it is the next thing. And I think people need to step into it. I do think that Canadians and I saw a stat recently where I think the average home in Canada is now over six hundred and forty thousand dollars. And so to live in Canada, you need to be wealthy. And to be perfectly honest, that creates a level of contentedness is a nice word that I'll use. And if it was a bad day, I would say lazy. And and the reason I say that is we do still see a lot of a lot of entrepreneur tourism and a lot of 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 very light touch things at a time when I think a lot of people can step into some of the really big issues, right? Like really big issues around inequality, around food security, around the planet. And I think for me, the benefit is now we're seeing people who are stepping into those places and creating big impact and seeing financial returns. And so I think it's, that's the invitation for everybody to step into it. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. If you were, you speak to investors all the time and I, I bump into people as well who, who don't know where to get started. And, and the, the, there's like frictions you've mentioned, it's actually on both sides, on the entrepreneur side and on the investor side. And it just feels like we've got these people who want to start these businesses with these great ideas to, to change the world. And we have people who have capital who want to make this happen. And the plumbing and the infrastructure doesn't exist at a level that makes that real easy. There's a lot of missed opportunities from people who can't access it or people who have the capital and can't deploy it in the ways that they want. What do you see mm. as the biggest roadblocks or the biggest things that need to change to make that flow of capital much smoother on the impact side? So there's a couple of things. One is a matter of process and the other one is a matter of opportunity under process. Connecting great impact ventures with impact capital is a very inefficient marketplace. And the reason is because it's human nature for entrepreneurs that when they need capital, they'll go and ask anybody who looks like they have money. It's, it's just human nature, right? right. Like people are right. like, oh, right. you're wealthy and I need money. Right. And so I'll just take a shot. I don't know that many people with this much money. <laughs> and it's, you never know. And you never know is the death of an entrepreneur trying to raise capital. And so true story, the number one complaint of impact entrepreneurs is there's a lack of capital. The number one complaint by impact investors is there's a lack of deals. Yeah, 100% I hear both of those things all the time. And and so the interesting thing, though, is impact entrepreneurs are just they're as inefficient as the impact entrepreneurs because... While technically, like I might say to you, I have a specific passion for food, I might still look at a clean tech thing yeah. or I might still look at a, because you never know, yeah. maybe I'm, I'll be a part of the next Whole Foods, I'll be a part of the next whatever. And so it's a very inefficient marketplace. And so this is where, for example, having education, like platforms for education, platforms for community and platforms for deal flow is going to be really critical. This is the second part of this, right? And 
So what I would say to you is some of those platforms already exist, like SVX, some of the VC funds like Active Impact Investments, Rise of Capital, Mary Gold, uh, Second Muse Capital. You have education platforms like Spring and, and Future Capital. And so we have these different elements. I think we also need to have the discourse. So Future of Good is an amazing kind of conversation platform, both in terms of articles, but events for people to engage. I think people need podcasts like this. And the reason is because we are in a world right now where people are used to consuming content wherever they want, whenever they want. And so I think it's important. There's no you know panacea, right? Like it, it has to be a mix of like podcasts, content, platforms where I can look for deal flow, venture capital funds, education platforms, networks, right? Like these are the places where people will need to engage. And hopefully all of us can encourage people to know their target. So if I'm a clean tech entrepreneur, I'll focus on clean tech investors. And if I'm an investor passionate about sustainable food, then I'll focus there. And trying to avoid the term you never know, because you you never know is it's what creates a very inefficient marketplace and slows the process down and therefore can reduce the potential impact that we're all trying to create. Yeah. Yeah. So is it fair to paraphrase and say, we have a lot of the basic infrastructure. We need more of it. They need to mature and to expand, but. And greater. Yeah. 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 Connect more of these people, organizations and. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think we need to rise to that challenge where all of us can say truly, as the African proverb goes, it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a village to raise an impact venture. It takes a village to create the impact that we want to create. And so I think the more we do it together, the more we share our stories and the impact we're trying to create, I think the greater the opportunity. I would love to see more impact venture capital funds. I would love to see more impact investor network happening in Canada a formalized impact investor network. Um, I would love to see more challenges and competitions that kind of encourage people to do it. I'd love to see it at the place-based level in Saskatchewan, in Manitoba, in the North, in New Brunswick, right? Can't just be Toronto, Calgary, Ottawa, Vancouver, Edmonton, like Montreal, like those places are well-served, right? If we want to change the world, we got to do it in the smaller communities as much or more than we're doing it in the big communities. I love that. Are there other things that you're working on at Spring that you're excited about sharing that I haven't asked you about? <laughs> Do you have another hour? Yeah. We're doing we so many time. amazing things right now. And so the Impact Investor Challenge, the, we're already planning up for the Western Canada one in the fall. We have Impact Investment Readiness Training for Impact Entrepreneurs that it's going to be happening in um, Calgary in uh, May and June, in Kelowna in May and June. We're doing some work up in uh, Whitehorse, Yukon in the fall. We will be running in partnership with the Canadian Black Chamber of Commerce, the second annual ethnic food incubator for Black female founders. National program, phenomenal impact. Um, that'll be kicking off in October, uh, but we'll be putting out the call in June for applications for companies. We are currently, we're about to kick off. By the time people listen to this, it will be running a Cowichan Valley Food Incubator Accelerator on Vancouver Island. In the fall, we'll be running one in Campbell River. So these are all examples of some of the things that we're doing. I think if 
the audience here is listening to say, hey, I'm interested to learn more. As you said, you're going to be able to share some links. And then I think more importantly, you can either connect with me in LinkedIn or you could send an email to Keith at spring.is or if you're not sure where to start, help at spring.is. We're looking for amazing impact entrepreneurs and investors. We're looking for people who maybe want to mentor and give up their time. Sometimes you just want to attend an event for inspiration, right? Lots of ways to get involved with Spring. If you want to scratch that impact itch locally, we've got something for you. If you want to do it globally, we have something for you. And so for us, I think there's lots of opportunities to get involved. We'd love to share the journey with you. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, listen, I want to thank you for taking the time to chat with us, share your views on the industry and where we're headed and, and the amazing work that you're doing at Spring. I've bumped into a, a number of people and organizations over time that have spoken highly of the work that you're doing. And it's just, it's, a, it's just really great. Thank you very much. And I really you know, want to thank you, David, for creating this platform as a vehicle for people to share and talk more about impact and, and how we can make the world a better place. I, you know, thank you for inviting myself and spring on. It's been an amazing conversation and I'm so excited to share the journey with you. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. And we'll have to have you back again in the future and get an update at some point. Look forward to it. Hey everyone. Thanks so much for listening to the impact investing podcast. If you like what you heard, I'd be incredibly grateful if you left a review on iTunes And uh, heads up, we're now available on most audio platforms, which includes iTunes, but also Spotify, Google, Overcast, you name it. And also can now use Siri to listen to the podcast by saying, hey, Siri, play the Impact Investing Podcast. Here's the Impact Investing Podcast. Yeah, just like that. You're listening to the Impact Investing Podcast.